Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that's deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. And just so you all know, stay tuned because this coming Friday, uh, we're going to be answering the last Q&A podcast of the year. Uh, and so we'd love uh, for you to tune in and, and take some time listening to the questions that you sent in uh, as we discuss and answer through them. Uh, we will be doing Q&A podcasts in the new year, uh, but we're not going to let you know what's happening. We'll let you know at the end of the Q&A podcast this next week about what the next podcast looks like plan-wise. Uh, so keep sending in questions. We love taking time every month uh, to answer those questions. So again, you can send those questions to infogrove.church or you can direct message our Facebook page. We are called The Grove Church in Marysville or Snohomish, Washington. So look forward to those questions. Yeah. It's crazy to think that this is week It 52. for the year, bro. Yeah. It for the year. Uh, so there are actually, I guess there's there was fifty. There's fifty-two weeks in the year, but there was fifty-three Sundays. So, oh, this, cheaters! I know. So this episode is going to cover like ten days. So it's going to be yes. December twenty-second. Um, and we're covering the Old Testament books because we've already gone through the New Testament books once, uh, and for the sake of time, to make sure we keep that time as uh, congruent and consistent as possible, uh, we'll be spending time in the Old Testament. Oh books. yeah. When I well, just to, like let you in. So like the books we're reading this week is. Uh, we're finishing Esther, all of James, finishing Ezra, 2 Peter, Nehemiah, Psalms 28, 120, 93, 78, 1 John, all of Malachi, 2 John, and 3 John. In so, 10 days. Yeah. Not so all in once, I promise. A lot of them are small, uh, but, but we, when we were looking at the schedule, we decided that maybe it was for the best if we uh, you know, didn't do all the New Testament books that we've already read through and kind of focus on uh, these you should still read them for the plan. Don't cheat. Read them. Yeah. No cheating. New Testament. Jesus twice. is watching. That's the way to go. All right. So with that being said, uh, we are going to jump into the book of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is um, essentially he's a companion, not companion. That's the wrong word. It's a companion book to Ezra. So yeah. it's taking place at, uh, at the same time. Um, and where Ezra, um, Ezra focuses really on the spiritual renewal of the people. Uh, Nehemiah focuses on the physical renewal of the land, uh, particularly the walls around Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. um, and walls are kind of an interesting thing because in obviously in our modern context, we're, I mean, we're never concerned about walls. Like we live in Marysville. Um, we're not really concerned about Everett or Arlington attacking us. Um, Sorry, which it was just funny that you said walls are a pretty peculiar thing. I was like... I guess if you want to put it that way, it was super funny, but I get what you're saying. I know where you're going, but it was just, funny. yeah. I mean, we saw fences. Around I'm over here property. trying not to laugh too loud. Well, you know, what are you going to do? But, um, but especially back then, uh, walls were like a big thing. Uh, obviously the surrounding people groups around Jerusalem, uh, many of them were hostile, which mm -hmm. as you read in Nehemiah, um, they're either openly like violently hostile or they're kind of politically hostile and trying to prevent all these different things. Um, and a wall really was a protection because without a wall, um, nothing is stopping raiders or bandits or whatever it is from coming in mm -hmm. um, and kind of just sacking the city and causing havoc. And so the wall is a big deal. We uh, technically have walls with fences too. Yeah. It's like you have a fence around your house for like the same reason. Not that it's like the ultimate protects protection. Protects what's yours. But yeah, exactly. And it keeps your dog Stay inside the yard. Get off my land. Uh, or off my plane. Great movie. Um <laughs> I don't know where that came from. So Nehemiah uh, was a Jew living in Persia during the reign of Artaxerxes. Uh, so Artaxerxes is the son of King Xerxes, who we met in Esther, um, and we're actually going to be finishing up Esther uh, this 
in these 10 days as well. Um, one thing that I read that I had never thought of before that was really interesting in, um, in one of the books I was doing for research is that um, Esther would have been Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes' stepmother. Which I mean, I mean, obviously, you know what I mean? Like, oh, that's true. But like, I just never thought of it that way. And so what we see when we're reading through Nehemiah is that Artaxerxes really does have a soft spot uh, for the Jews and the people of Israel and for, and in Nehemiah in particular. Um, and so we don't, it's not openly stated, but it is possible that perhaps Artaxerxes relationship with Esther uh, would actually lead to his, um, to his feelings of goodwill towards the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. And also the fact that Mordecai saved his father's life and that Haman was a jerk. Um, but we'll be... He's a jerk. We'll be talking more about that in the next uh, our next segment. Uh, so anyways, Nehemiah finds out uh, from a letter that the people, uh, the exiles who have returned to Israel are not doing, they're not doing too hot. And so uh, he asks the king if he can go back and uh, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which the king gives him his blessings for. Um, and Nehemiah eventually goes with the group and he uh, gets the people of Israel to rise up and they're going to build the walls. And you'll kind of just read as you're going through Nehemiah. Um, it's one of the, it's another book that's a little bit of an easier read because it's story driven. So it's not written in poetry or prose or anything like that. Um, I don't know if there's not any of it in there, but for the most part, it's narrative driven. And then um, really it's just the story of how the wall is built, how the country is restored. Um, there's a few other things that you'll see in there that are kind of interesting. I believe there's something about um, like the marriage to people who are not worshipers of God, which we'll get to later when we're talking through Malachi. But Nehemiah kind of foreshadows that a little bit. Well, and Ezra just deals with it too. Yeah. It's a real problem. So in that, in those days, so, mm -hmm. and today, I guess you could say as well. But anyway, all of those, all of those things together, to uh, clarify that one. they come together into the book of Nehemiah. Great book, uh, pretty easy read, and it's really helpful for learning about how God was continuing to restore his people after they were in exile. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Uh, which leads us into Esther. We're going to wrap up the book of Esther today in chapters 7 through 10. Uh, and rather than spend time uh, highlighting one specific uh, passage, just kind of a quick breakdown. Uh, and then I just think it's interesting that the last chapter uh, is about Mordecai. But uh, chapter 7, we, we at this point will see Esther set up a uh, strategic dinner uh, with her, her husband, the king. Uh, and then Haman is also part of that. And so uh, there's just a moment where she reveals this plot against the Jewish people. Uh, and uh, Haman is then found out and the king is angry, has him impaled on his own little contraption. Hoisted on um, his own petard, you might say. Sure. That, I think it was said last week and I still I don't just, know what it means. It's but. a great statement. <laughs> it totally is. What is that in the, what translation is that in? It's not. Oh, I'm going to look it just up in a comment. You okay. just keep talking. I'll, uh, I'll so Haman then is get his punished on his own little. He had this strategic way of how can I, you know, kill and, and destroy the Jewish people. It all stems from an offense he took for Mordecai, which is really interesting, as you've already read. Uh, we'll see in chapter eight, uh, Esther, in essence, makes a plea for her people. The king hears her plea and then uh, answers it. And so her, her people, the Jewish people are saved. Uh, and then on the day that was planned by Haman to destroy the Jewish people, which is actually signed into decree, there was a new uh, uh, a decree signed where the Jewish people could then defend themselves and fight back. And they ended up taking out and destroying their enemies, which was really uh, kind of a, 
a flip of the conversation, uh, which is really cool. And then chapter 10, we see uh, it really is three verses. Uh, and so I'm going to read it here in a minute. Um, but it's just about Mordecai. It says this, uh, and this is in the, the CSB. And so the king is not a different king. It's just a different translation or a different name for the king, uh, King Xerxes. But King Assurus says this in verse one. It says, King Assurus imposed the tax throughout the land, even to the farthest shores, all of his powerful, magnificent accomplishments, and the detailed account of Mordecai's great rank. Uh, with which the king had honored him, had they not been written the book of the historical events of the kings of Media and per Media and Persia, and this says this verse three: Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Assurus or King Xerxes. He was famous among the Jews and highly esteemed by many of his relatives. He continued to pursue prosperity for his people and to speak for the well-being of of all his descendants. Um, the story really is about uh, Mordecai and his love and his care and concern for Esther, and then Esther being, uh, in essence, brought into a very high position. Uh, but Mordecai really is kind of the, the unspoken hero of this story. Uh, and it's just interesting at the very last chapter that Mordecai is honored. Uh, he's elevated as the number two in the entire kingdom. No one is higher than him except the king himself. Uh, and he continues to fight and defend and seek the well-being of his people. Uh, so it's just kind of a fun little, almost like a, a, a sidestep, uh, which kind of reveals the real underlying uh, value of the story and the, the, the unspoken hero. Because Esther makes the famous statement, if I perish, I perish before the king. Um, if I perish, I perish. If I stand before him and, and he doesn't want to hear me and I die, I die. Uh, well, she puts her neck on the line, but Mordecai really is the uh, almost the unspoken leader and the hero. So uh, it's 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 a good story. It's going to be kind of a fun ending, uh, I hope. And I hope you've enjoyed reading Esther. I think it's a, a pretty incredible book. And we talked about it a little bit more in, in length last week, but that's going to be wrapping up the book of Esther. You ready for this? Yes, let, let us have it. All right, look it up. So, Fun fact. All right. Hoist with his own petard is a phrase from a speech in William Shakespeare's play Hamlet that has become proverbial. The phrase's meaning is literally that the bond maker, a petard is of course a small explosive device, is blown up, hoisted off the ground, by his own bomb and indicates an ironic reversal or poetic justice. So there you go. It's so a, It's a Shakespearean term. Right. Phrase. So, but it means, you know, uh, an it's an ironic reversal of or poetic justice. So what Haman meant for the destruction of Mordecai was instead used for his own destruction instead. Yeah. So there you go. Fun fact. A little lackluster for, for me. For you there. You know, Sorry. I just think it's fun to say. It I is. You're right. It's like serendipity. It's just a cool word to say. Uh, but yeah, there you <laughs> serendipity. go. Serendipity. It's also a good movie. With John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale. I, I do like that movie. It's kind of like. It's actually probably one of my favorite rom-coms also like one this is like a total fun fact this is total another fun note. fact i like the fact that um well actually i don't want to spoil the movie i guess serendipity yeah it's such an old movie that's if okay, you spoil fine. the movie i like the fact that they some tween i like the fact that they don't cheat it with on each other and they're, that like when they finally get together at the end of the movie they have broken up with their previous relationships with many rom-coms today um we're just supposed to look past that and think like oh well as long as they love each other adultery is okay yeah this one i think was also in the late 90s is when it was created. Anyway. Or made. Anyways, good getting movie. Back you should to go the, check uh, it out. Getting back to uh, the Let's Watch Serendipity, Serendipity Together podcast. Um, so we're getting into the book of Malachi. Uh, Malachi is the final book of the Malachi. Old Testament. And uh, chronologically, it is also the last book uh, that takes place. So there you go. Uh, the book of Malachi kind of shows us the final ebb and flow, if you will, of the people of Israel. So if Did you say ebb and flow, I'm just kidding. Ebb and flow. Uh, but yeah, what you see all throughout the Old Testament is that um, the people of Israel will serve God and then they'll turn away from him. And then 
bad things will happen. They'll repent. They'll come back. And then a generation or two later, they'll stop serving God. And then they turn back to it's it's kind of like it's just what happens over and over and over again. If you read the book of Judges, um, it's really pronounced there because literally like a judge will come up, save the people. The people will be like, oh, thank you, God. Only you could do that. And then a generation later, like, well, that idol that demands child sacrifice is pretty cool. So that's just kind of how they I, I imagine that's how they sound when they're like Molech. Exactly. That's awesome. That's the voice I hear in my head when I read it. So anyway, uh, Malachi is really a, a book centered around uh, calling God's people to repent. Uh, this is most likely written about a generation after the events of Ezra and Nehemiah. So as, when I saw it dated, um, I think the date I saw for um, Nehemiah was about 544 BC and then Malachi was sometime after, four, sorry, 444 BC and then Malachi was sometime around 430. So about 15 years later, uh, I kind of I tend to date a little bit uh, later than that, but yeah, it's in the the early 400s or the late 400s, I guess, if you're going BC because it counts down. So anyway, however you wanted to find that beyond 430. Um, but yeah, the people of Israel were turning against God again, and so Malachi um, just begins to address some of some of those issues that are happening up. And so I actually wrote down a, a bunch of them because they're they're interesting. And as you're reading through, um, it kind of reads as just Malachi saying, "Here's what you're doing wrong. Make sure to repent and turn back to God." And so the issues were um, they were bringing sickly animals in for sacrifice, and the priests were not rebuking the people for doing this. So if you remember when you're reading through Leviticus and uh, the law, um, God's not saying like, "Hey." when you sacrifice an animal from your flock, pick the sickest one or the smallest one. Like, no, you're supposed to pick the best. And and the idea isn't that like, you know, God needs the meat or whatever. The idea is that God deserves our best. Um, it's why, you know, when we tithe today, um, we always do that first. We're not supposed to like get all of our affairs set in order and then give the leftovers to the church the way that we kind of like, at least in, in my family, the way that we do it is like, okay, we set aside this first and then we can figure out what to do with the rest of the money after that. It's the so idea. It's of, called the first fruits. Yeah. First fruits. You don't want to give God third fruits. Third fruits are just. Or last fruits. Or last fruits. <laughs> leftovers. Ah, oh, man. The, the apples that you throw away at the cider squeeze. Don't give those to God. Um, that was a really niche reference, I guess. But uh, other things that were happening, people were marrying those who did not worship God. Uh, so again, like this is kind of like bringing back to what I, I kind of mentioned in passing earlier. Um, but the idea was that um, people were not marrying other people who shared the same faith. Mm -hmm. So the, I, the idea of worshiping God was now getting uh, torn apart in later generations. You see this happen with the Samaritans when we get to where uh, in the New Testament. But the idea is uh, when you have one parent encouraging their children to worship God and another parent encouraging the children to worship another way. Um, it's beginning to tear apart the fabric of basically worshiping God and creating a culture of worshiping God. Mm -hmm. So Malachi is rebuking people for that. Uh, he's also rebuking people because divorce was becoming uh, super common, which luckily we don't struggle with that in today's culture, but um, sarcasm. sarcasm, but uh, yeah. Reminds me of Big Bang Theory. Essentially. Sarcasm? Sorry. I yes. can't do this. Um, but yeah, uh, divorce is becoming more and more common, and Malachi is rebuking people for. Um, and, and again, in the in the law of Moses, um, there are some provisions put out for like these are reasons that you can uh, divorce your spouse. Um, but by the time we get to the time of Jesus, I think there's always a humorous one that you see where like um, there's like a certain amount of time that your wife can burn food until you're allowed to divorce her, which is just like it's it's just kind of a testament. I to I like, impose that the, one on my wife. Yeah, there you go. It's a so testament to again. how um, how. Uh, how small marriage was in that culture at the time. So Malachi is rebuking that. Uh, moving on, he also talks about how the people are taking advantage of the poor and the destitute. Um, and this is a thing we see all throughout the Old Testament. It's a lot. There's a lot of it in Isaiah mm -hmm. as well. But kind of this idea that God's not after um, 
God doesn't want you just to go through the motions. Like that's not the point. The point is to worship God, uh, to take care of the poor, to take care of the destitute, to do all those different things. The people of Israel were not doing that. Uh, and then finally, the people were not paying uh, tithes to the temple, which is kind of, there's a famous line from Malachi that's, you know, how have I robbed you, O God? And it's like in the tithes and offerings. And the idea there yeah. is um, that, and, and, and this is also, um, it, it's specifically cultural to Israel at the time, but it also applies to the church today in the sense that um, the priests obviously did not do work that made them money. Uh, the work of the temple was something that was paid for by the people of God. It was not like a sense where like, you know, if you're a carpenter, you make money for whatever you do. And so the money um, that the people would tithe or the food, which is most often what it was, it was food, whatever um, animals, whatever it might be that go went, that went toward feeding the priests that went towards uh, repairing the temple, that went for building new synagogue, all those different things. Right. And so the people are rejecting it. Um, and there really is this theme in Malachi, Nehemiah, Ezra. It's the restoration of the worship of God. And that doesn't work without all of that. So there you go. Uh, and then one last thing I thought was kind of poetically fitting. Malachi ends with a call to repentance. The whole book is kind of about a call to repentance. And then God is silent for about 400 years. So after Malachi is finished with his prophetic ministry, uh, God does not speak through a prophet again for 400 years. So you have that kind of intertestamental period where you have the Maccabees, which again, awesome people, not prophets, but really cool stories to read up on. Um, and then eventually what happens is you get John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes around. He's the next prophetic voice. Obviously, um, he's uh preparing the way for Jesus. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting that after 400 years of silence, the next prophetic voice that arises in Israel that's speaking to all the people is repent and be baptized. So it's kind of this cool poetic thing where the old Testament ends with a message of repentance and the new Testament, well, it begins with the story of the birth of Christ, but the actual, I would say um, the ministry of Jesus or the prophetic ministry of the new Testament begins with a call yeah. to repentance as well. Yeah. I think and I agree with that too. Uh, and it is interesting. I think that's just the story of humanity repent and, and turn, turn yeah, to God. So that's true. Uh, I think you'll always be hearing that. I think you'll hear that in every message uh, on, on any given Sunday, hopefully uh, at Bible believing churches, but um we're going to also be wrapping up Ezra again this uh, this coming week over the next 10 days. Uh, and the interesting thing is uh, Evan made this comment uh, when he was talking about Nehemiah, but he mentioned the physical renewal uh, and the spiritual renewal. The temple is what Ezra is focusing on uh, and getting it rebuilt. That's And every time when the, when the temple was in dis disarray, it was, uh, it was indicative of the spiritual uh, decay and rot and die, uh, death, if you will, of God's people. So the, the temple is what signifies uh, spiritual health and vitality. Uh, and so in Ezra, his whole purpose is to rebuild the temple because he wants to have the spiritual renewal happening, coming out to God's peace or God's people, not peace. Um, Evan's over there dying. So if you hear some coughing, it's okay. Uh, I'll pray for him later. But um, the, the thing is, is this is, this takes place at chapter seven through, uh, I believe, I don't remember the end. Uh, I apologize. I didn't write it down, but, uh, seven on you see Ezra talking and interacting with God's people, lamenting and weeping and crying and, and being frustrated with God's people, because at this point, the temple has been built. Um, he was directed to pray for protection, to fast, uh, to teach God's people. So he's trying to help them be prepared, not just, um, to, uh, but he wants them to be renewed. He, so he's, he's, he doesn't want them just to attend because the churches or the temple is not built. He wants them to actually also understand that the, the weight and the responsibility that exists. Uh, and so then chapter nine, he then gets approached by uh, some of the priests or some of the people. And it says this, that he was told uh, that the, these people would return to the sin that caused their 
the downfall to begin with, um, which is at the end result was exile and being and God sending someone to take over uh, and destroy his people and destroy the temple. Uh, and the sin that was most evident was the fact that they were intermarrying. Um, and here's what here's what I want to be very clear about. Um, I'm not convinced there is biblical grounds for intermarrying uh, between race and um, culture and those things. But I am convinced uh, because I think the New Testament speaks into this as well is that the reality that we are not meant to be married with people who are not of the same faith and mind as we are. Uh, scripture would tell us very clearly that, you know, you're not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Um, and I see that this is, this is in essence what's happening. God's people are marrying individuals who do not have their same faith in God, their same relationship with God, and are therefore opening the door and worshiping other idols, other gods. And I believe it's the first commandment uh, says you shall, no have, you shall have no other gods besides me. Uh, and God sets a very huge standard not to worship anybody else but him. Uh, and so in doing what they've done in intermarrying with people, groups that are not of the same faith, that's the issue. Uh, they're finding uh, that now that it's that led to their downfall previously, uh, the temple had been rebuilt, spiritual renewal is coming, and yet they step into that same world where they're continuing or they're committing the same sin, even after they've been instructed to not. Um, and so Ezra, you know, Ezra was devastated by this. It says that he he wept, that he was fasting, that he ripped his clothes and pulled like the literally the picture is he pulled the beard out of his out of his out of his face, which I've I pull one hair every now and then out of my little beard and it hurts. Um sometimes so, when the Seahawks lose, I will also pull my pull beard. my beard and tear my clothes. <laughs> um I mean because it's an idol. You're intermarrying. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I'm just gonna read this real quick. This is Ezra's response uh in chapter nine, verses one through six. It says, After these things had been done, meaning all the the prayer and the, t- the fasting and the teaching, the leaders approached me and said, The people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, had not separated themselves from the surrounding peoples, whose detestable practices are like those of the Canaanites, the Hethites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. Indeed, the Israelite men have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and, and their sons, so that the holy seed has become mixed with the surrounding peoples. Their leaders and officials have taken the lead in this unfaithfulness. When I heard this, this is Ezra, when I heard this, I tore my tunic and robe, pulled out some of the hair from my head and beard, and sat down devastated. Everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel gathered around me because of the unfaithfulness of the exiles while I sat devastated until the evening offering. It's interesting. And then he comes to God in verse six says, and I said, my God, I'm ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face towards you. My God, because our iniquities are higher than our heads and our guilt is as high as the heavens. Uh, This is really Ezra's breaking point. He comes to a point where he realizes like, God, of all things in in light of everything that just happened with the temple being rebuilt and seeing your, your presence come back to the people of Israel, he's like, here we are. And it's it's an unfortunate truth because Ezra was really meant to see the total spiritual renewal of God's people through the temple being built and established and ready. Um, it actually ends, the book of Ezra ends on a low note. It actually lends, ends with a list of, uh, I think it's about a hundred names or so of individuals who've, who've been identified as having committed this sin. And rather than celebrate the renewal, rather than celebrate the temple being rebuilt and God's presence being reestablished and his covenant being affirmed and confirmed again, it ends with a list of names of people who did wrong again. Uh, and so it's just, it's it's an unfortunate, sad point 
to the story of Ezra uh, in the height of some of the most exciting things with the temple coming back and God's people being returned from exile, it ends up being a very negative, negative story. Yeah, it's almost like there, uh, there will eventually be someone else who comes to spiritually renew God's people. Yeah, it's, um, I haven't read the whole book, be, so I got, I'm waiting to get to that chapter. That'd be cool if Sarcasm. that came on later on in the Bible. Uh, but yeah, so with that being said... Um, that's it. Wow. A year, 52 weeks, 52 weeks of, and some days. Let's read the Bible. So, uh, we'll say 52 and a half just to be safe. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, so I, I guess just a little bit of, uh, to let you guys know, so we are not going away. Uh, next year we will have a podcast. It's going to look a little bit different, uh, but we're still going to, our goal is to still have it be weekly. Our goal is to still have it obviously be covering, uh, going deeper into topics of mm-hmm. the Bible and talking through that. Uh, but with that being said, we are going to take a little bit of a break. Um, so not a super long one, but I'd imagine See you next year. Yeah. At least a couple of weeks. So we don't want to be recording anything over Christmas. And then come January, we really want to take a little bit to uh, a little bit to plan, kind of see what next year is going to look like as well. So, but we will be back. Yeah, um, We are starting a new reading plan as a church starting oh, January 1st. So you're welcome to join us with that if you wanted to. Um, it's a 49 week challenge. You can search that in the Version app. Um, we will have booklets available in the lobby. If you attend our church, you're welcome to come and grab one of those starting the 29th. Um, but we will, we will come back. I promise. Yeah. Um, uh, so on, I guess we can say Merry Christmas. We can say Happy New Year um, because this podcast is going to drop before those two things. It's true. So Merry Christmas to all of you. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't really want to do the whole ending. Give spiel. us a five-star review. review. You've heard it a million times. We want people to hear about Jesus. Yeah. Honestly, thank you for listening. Uh, it's been incredibly fun yeah. to be able to do all of this, Absolutely. Uh, to be able to talk about the Bible. It's our passion. Um, and so and it's just really fulfilling to know that, you know, there's people out there uh, listening, both in the church and outside of the church. Um, mm-hmm. It means a lot to us. Your reviews mean a lot to us. Uh, yeah. The feedback you give means a lot to us. So thank you for listening. Uh, and then we will have one more Q&A episode that yeah, dropping uh, is dropping on Friday, next Friday. Uh, we're, Friday. About, we're about to stop and then we're going to record that one to give you some insight. I'll let him into the curtain. So, there you go. Here's another side note in the curtain. I don't I have to ask this question. Sure. Do you take your shoes off every time you record a podcast? No, just this time. For oh, okay. whatever reason, my feet felt hot today. I was cold. And so I've been with this radiator heater and I lean over and I see Evan has no shoes on. He has socks on, but he has no shoes. I was like, does he always do that? This is the tables. is what people need to know. It's awesome. With that being said, we'll, we'll see you guys for one more episode uh, the Q&A one on Friday.